Welcome to How to Hustle with Talent Atelier, dedicated to placing the very best people into the fashion, beauty and luxury lifestyle industries. Talent Atelier are based in Shoreditch in London and work internationally with senior through to C-suite level talent. Essentially, we're a dating agency aiming to create love stories between businesses and people. Today, Joe and I are really happy to be in the presence of the extraordinary coach, Alison Chadwick, founder of Grow People and with over 20 years experience in bringing out the best in leaders and their teams, we thought she was the perfect person to talk to us about being a founder and CEO and also how to survive working for them. If you've never worked with a coach before, then think of Alison as part psychologist, part cheerleader and also mirror holder upper. That's an official term. Uh, We worked together years and years ago and it was honestly one of the best experiences in my career. It's definitely changed the way I work. Alison's clients have spanned some of the biggest creative and media businesses in the world. She's just told me she's working in Hollywood at the moment, which is very exciting. And also luxury brands on a global scale. So hi, Alison. Hello, Rachel. And welcome to the Talent Atelier office. Oh, Joe's here as well. Hi. And Sarah is recording, who is silent. India's in the background. This is all very exciting. Um, so, Alison, I've done a little intro, but why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself? Okay, thanks, Rachel. And I always think, thank you for those kind words. It's always really, uh, you think, well, I can only screw it up from here, can't I? When, well, this is know, true, yes. When somebody <laughs> said such nice things, but I appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm a coach, and uh, I have worked as a coach for 20 years. And before that, I worked in advertising for 10 years, which I think is relevant because Definitely. I kind of grew up developing the scar tissue and also the kind of joy mm-hmm. of working in a creative business yeah. and it's given me a kind of lifelong fascination with personality driven businesses mm-hmm. and so I've stayed very close to those kind of worlds advertising media you know fashion etc because I just think it's it's fascinating how we enable each other or trip each other up yeah you know just yeah. because you get smart creative nice people together it doesn't necessarily work yeah and so lots some of egos there lots yeah of egos <laughs> lots of passion uh, sometimes a bit of dysfunction and that's interesting you know from a psychological perspective and I think there are lots of ways that you can help people through coaching to be effective together to create brilliant things yeah I think yeah. It, you always experience surprise from people because they're always a bit skeptical I know I was I was a bit like oh for god's sake and um I, I just found it was a real like uh, eye-opener as to how everyone behaves with each other when when we met and lots of different people realized very very interesting things about themselves that they didn't realize before which was good yes. um I think with today's topic, there's a lot of emotion involved. Like Joe and I have been wanting to do a podcast with you for a really long time. And I think so many of the clients that we work with now are founder-led businesses or are businesses that are driven by someone who is a very big personality. Um, So what we wanted to do today was maybe create a little bit of empathy on both sides and to provide like a toolkit like yeah. toolkit. Oh, a little professional <laughs> toolkit some hints and tips exactly hints and tips for people on both sides as a founder who might be struggling with their newfound fame of a business or just the general kind of stresses of work and how to kind of keep things going as well as the people that are the right hand and the teams underneath and how to make sure that you're getting the best out of your working day and really like navigating the waters of that well rather than being stressed out um so we hear both sides of the story constantly um so it'd be nice to get some success and resilience packeted <laughs> up all round. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, this is a massive question. 
and probably one that you can't answer, but what type of person is a true leader? Well, it's a great question, and it is a, it is a big question. Uh, I think the, the place to start is to really think about the fact that, especially in the context of this conversation, which is about, as you said, the kind of founder-led yep. businesses. So we're not necessarily talking about kind of big corporations here, um, although some of those businesses might grow to that, to that state. But I think whatever kind of leader you are, and many of the founder leaders who might be listening to this will hopefully you know, resonate with this, Leadership is about taking people on a journey to achieve something great together. Mm-hmm. And really great leaders harness the talent in others to do something amazing. Yeah. Um, you're not a leader without followers. You know, one of my favorite books about leadership says uh, leadership doesn't come with a title. If you think you're a leader, look behind you. Yeah. Have you yeah. got any followers? Yeah, this is mm. absolutely true. Yeah. And th- but I think also understanding what leadership, what a true leader is now you need to dig deeper than that because in the past that kind of followership model was about the, the hero leader you know I have the brilliant idea I can do this thing better than you um, it's all about me and I'm sort of on a pedestal and then you got this slightly kind of passive followership and that that came from a very kind of industrial revolution model as well as the sort of creative genius mythology yeah and what it means is that you've got these very kind of command and control styles of leadership um, and people you know would play with that they would go along because they were maybe so excited to be working for somebody very visionary and they were attached to something really great that was coming you know out of the factory if you like but now things have changed Mm. and really great sort of true modern leaders are being much more collaborative much more focused on empowerment those words seem very cliched but they are really important in modern business partly because everything is changing so fast that actually that visionary leader doesn't necessarily have all the answers yeah they don't necessarily know how to do something better than the 24 year old Mm -hmm. one of my clients for example fantastic advertising agency they needed to do something with ai and there was one 23 year old in the office who could do it yeah Yes. Oh, yeah. The, the chief executive didn't know how. We talked um, off uh, offline a little minute ago about there being this kind of cyclical thing about people not wanting to necessarily work for great big huge bosses who are not necessarily that great so they're creating their own businesses Mm. and then you've got this like lots of young people that are becoming founders almost accidentally because their businesses are becoming successful and they're not necessarily equipped with how to behave in that way and then yeah so it's it's lots of these new businesses coming so um i'm just going to pick up on that word accidental Mm -hmm. because it's such a great word in the context of this kind of leader yeah Many of the leaders that I coach are, you know, creative leaders, founder leaders, etc., of exactly the kind that you're talking about. And often I describe them sometimes as accidental leaders because, as you say, they will have been fantastic as, you know, a fashion designer or a TV producer or, a, you know, advertising creative or strategist or something. And then suddenly they break away and mm-hmm. start their own business or they find themselves being put in charge of 50 people. Yeah. And it's a different skill set. And actually, they have to start to unlearn some of the things that made them really successful, like, you know, hanging on to the best work and doing it all themselves, yeah. um, making all the decisions, for example. So and you get disconnected from the thing you actually enjoy doing. From a personal note, I get that all the time. Like when I'm farting about with invoices and doing all sorts of things, like it's not what I enjoy doing. I enjoy the hustle of working and headhunting, meeting great people, marketing them into businesses, client working facing. on client facing, yeah. like doing all of that. But like the, the day-to-day reality of running a business is incredibly boring. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, no, You're really I, selling it to them. Uh, yeah, no, really, really, it's really great. No, the um, uh, no, but I, I empathize, but the more, the, the, the bigger your company becomes or the bigger, you, 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 the more you get disconnected from what you're really, really good at. And I think that yeah. lots of managers, leaders and founders r- really feel that on a on a daily basis yeah they do I think but 
one of the things that I try and help them with, with as their coach, because often they come to me saying, you know, I'm losing good people. Why don't people want to stay here and work for me? Yeah. Uh, and so they, they need, or, you know, they're not succeeding in the way they want to because they are finding that their old habits and their old ways of being really connected to the business are not quite serving them, but they're not quite sure why. Mm-hmm. So what I will help them partly do is not necessarily see it as having to do a load of stuff they don't want to do, but find the creativity and leadership and, and really, you know, reframe their attitude to what they need to do now, which is about getting the best out of others mm-hmm. and creating a you know creative culture where they can all succeed together. And I've really seen leaders like that transform their attitude, if you like, to what they need to do to be useful every day and to help their mm. business that they're so passionate about succeed. Mm. But it's hard. Mm. Enable you know, it's them hard to empower them. their team. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard, you know, and, and a lot of people will say, oh, you know, they don't want to empower me or something. But and we maybe we could touch on this a bit Definitely. more later. But often I find that those founder leaders, they do love, as you say, doing the do. They do love being attached to the work. But actually in the end they start to really just get overwhelmed and exhausted having to do it all themselves. So yeah. you know and and often actually a lot more self questioning and Yeah. You you um, end up going home at the end of the day, I think, with the people that I speak to and you're like, I don't actually know what I've achieved because I've got so much to do. I've not done anything well. I've not done anything well and I just feel yeah. like yeah, it's not um yeah I'm not necessarily leading as well as I could and I'm not shining sometimes I end up thinking back to when I was like at the top of my game working for somebody else and I'm like oh I was getting well done all around then and you don't get that well done Mm. when you're like leading the business that's very true guys if you can start saying well done to me that'd be really nice (laughs) oh thanks so much okay great um so another question as as a as a right hand and I've been many a right hand. I've worked for quite a few founders. How do you think you get the best out of the time with your boss? Well, I think that there are a few things there. The first thing I guess I would say is if you're the right hand, then that implies you've probably been brought in at a pretty senior level. Um, so you're ready to add value. You know, you're ready to contribute. And uh, I think aiming for a partnership with your boss, not necessarily a lack of hierarchy completely, uh-huh. but a kind of what I would call an adult to adult relationship. If you're working for somebody who's used to running the show completely, they can have accidentally got into a kind of parent-child relationship with the people who work for them where they just assume that they have to make the decisions, assume they have to be mm-hmm. across everything. And if you're starting to work for somebody like that, really kind of coming in with the body language of a grown-up, respectful, um, obviously deeply respectful to what they do and what they've built, but ready to be honest with them about how you can add value and ready to be useful and really understand what they care about and you know how the business succeeds. I think sometimes people go into an organisation and kind of wait to be... Uh, made successful if that makes sense you or, know to, I mean? or to be allowed to yeah take exactly steps. yeah they kind of wait for permission to sort of be at the table and I think sometimes with those kind of founder leaders who are just passionate about their business and care so much about of course their reputation which mm. is often on the line yes. in terms of the brand you've got to kind of earn your seat at their table you're not just kind of expect it so one of the things that I always encourage those kind of rising leaders to do the right hands if you like is really you know, find ways and time to communicate with your boss, really listen and understand and ask them questions about, you know, what is your vision for the business? What do you need from me? What's not happening in the business that needs to happen for us to be more successful? And just work out how to be really useful. And not be afraid to to voice that and ask for their time, you know? Absolutely, yeah, because I think sometimes... 
Uh, one of the things that I see sometimes, and if you're a founder leader listening to this, this might be something to think about, is one of the interesting dynamics that happens is the founder will bring in somebody senior and think, okay, great, now I can delegate to them yeah. and go off and be <coughs> with my investors or my, you know, whoever else they need to be with. And they'll kind of abandon them and leave them alone. And actually, if you're that founder bringing in somebody senior to help you run the business, now is the moment when you need to spend time with them, not to micromanage them or over-control them, but to really help create alignment between you around. Especially okay, where in is that first six going? months. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Once you've done that, then you can start to let go more because you will have set them up to be joined at the hip with you and they will then be able to go and run the business. And they more. understand your thinking and your processes. And exactly. Just kind of um, sliding this in here, just because I'm thinking like often we work with businesses that have maybe tried to recruit for a managing director or a CEO quite consistently and have gone through the search so many times but have never found that right click. Um, and I don't know if it's because the founders are looking for someone that mimics themselves or are looking for someone that's very kind of um, that's very different to them. But uh, like often we'll go through that process and, and it just won't work out. And I find it really interesting that that the person recruiting, even though they are absolutely like desperate to get some help on board, can't ever make that decision. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I mean, it's really important not to kind of demonise the boss here no, because, no, as you know, there are so many understandable reasons why it's very hard it's to... It's so emotional. It's yeah. so emotional. You know, there is their reputation on the line. It's their baby. And I think when the first time they're hiring somebody in that's that's senior and they in you know in their head they have lots of good reasons why they need that person and, yeah. and they want that person but it doesn't make it easier for them to actually let go of the reins when that person comes in so I think quite often what might happen is that on paper everything looks like it's going to work really well but actually the leader doesn't really find it easy to let go for lots of understandable reasons yeah. um, doesn't maybe invest the time in really embracing the differences that this other person might be bringing in and, and seeing those as a good thing yeah. they start to become perhaps frustrated that this person doesn't do things in exactly the same way that they do yeah uh, and then and then the person starts to sort of pull away or feel a bit defeated whereas actually if that person as I was saying could you know have the courage to speak up and say look I'm, I'm here to help you with this business I want to add value I want to contribute let's talk about what you really need from me and actually you know you have these superpowers that's amazing we need more of those if you let me do some of this stuff and use my superpowers which are different that will release you to go and do more of what you love. But those honest conversations just often don't happen. What yeah. happens instead is six months down the line, we, you know, the boss says, yeah. why aren't they working it's, out? It's almost know? like the more, conv th th these conversations tend to follow a pattern. They will have an interview and finally there'll be a click and there'll be an absolute like, oh my God, we got on so well. It was wonderful. I can definitely, as the person going to work there, I can definitely make this change. Eureka moment. We are, oh my God, it's definitely going to be amazing. And we're like best friends. And they'll ha almost have that kind of best friend attitude. And then they'll get on board and then the founder will be like right just get on with it because I'm too busy and I'm paying you this salary so you need to just you know and I, and I think it's I just wish sometimes because you know obviously we're headhunters we can't sit down and kind of wrestle people into making like huge decisions but we'll be like you need to give them like plans for the first three months you know well they'll just be learning how to make a cup of tea the first six months the first 12 months and you need to have your own level of expectations from your side as the founder as to what you actually think that person's going to achieve they're not literally going to just join and then you can just do whatever you know you want you have to yeah. have this clear plotted direction in place so that everyone can be successful and I also think that there's an element of diversity here and I don't mean going into diversity in a huge huge topic which is a totally different podcast but I mean just the, in diversity in thinking and accepting that someone's different way of thinking 
is a much better way of having a business running successfully rather than having everyone humming the same tune because you can sometimes end up with missed opportunities by all only ever hiring the same profile again and again and again absolutely uh, I, there's two things i just echo back and kind of build on from what you were just saying which i think is so important um one of them is uh, clarity you know as you were saying I, i've seen it so many times i worked with a, a senior creative team a while ago in a, in a comms business who told me the story of how they went in and they, there was a lot of effort to hire them and then they were you know fired after six months because their boss was saying well you haven't met expectations and they said we didn't really know what was expected of us nobody ever really Mm. sat us down and now you know who knows the depth of the story but I think one of the interesting things I see a lot particularly in creative businesses is that because they feel perhaps instinctively that too much process will stop them being creative Mm. you know in a creative business you need just enough process yeah to make things legal ethical profitable etc but also to set people up to succeed you know if if somebody joins the business at any level but particularly as your right hand you know ceo md who you want to actually run the business as you say being really clear about what is this business about you know what are perhaps the way i want us to behave to stand out in the market uh, what will a great year look like this year what is great look like what does mediocre look like mm-hmm. I that think kind it of takes thing. a certain important. level of relationship to have that conversation though I don't think most people wouldn't have the confidence to say that in their mm. in their first month or so in a, in a new role or in their first six months because they're trying to understand what where they sit in this this rank sure Sure. So, so, yeah. So this is maybe just as much of a message to the leaders listening, which is that remember that just because your kind of instinctive sense of what your business is about and why it's amazing and how you want to stand out, those things live really clearly in your head. But remember that that doesn't mean they'll live really clearly in the heads of everybody else. And so to get to help people who join you succeed, make it easy for them by spending time with them in that first month or so to really create clarity and alignment. And and the other thing I'd say perhaps a bit challenging to those senior people joining is if. You you're senior enough to be an MD or a CEO. You're senior enough to be able to sit down with your boss and say, and help me understand this business. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and really understand it. Mm. So if you're working for somebody with a short fuse, how do you deal with that without getting emotional? It's a really challenging yeah. one, Because people yeah. are quite stressed out when they're like running a business and might just be like, for God's sake, why can't you just do what I've asked you to do? without communicating it and there's nothing you can do because that person has it baked into themselves and they are not that easy to work for yeah yeah so I think there's a few things I would say really and none of these things are the magic answer you know it's not easy to work for somebody who (laughs) I know sorry sorry (laughs) if only I had that magic answer I'd be so rich by now um it's you know it isn't easy working in a kind of high emotional context Mm. of course so I guess the first thing is you've got to make your own decisions about what you can tolerate and what you can't. And one of the things I sometimes say to my clients when they're working in, in an, with somebody who they're finding difficult emotionally, let's say somebody who's quite aggressive, for example, and has kind of emotional outbursts, you know, there's, you have three ways to tackle it. One is you decide you can't bear it and you leave. Yeah. And that's a choice, of course. I never encourage people to make that choice, but that's always on the table. You need to know that you're not kind of trapped. Uh, the second choice is to decide that you... Um, 
for whatever reason, uh, can't quite find the courage or it doesn't feel like the right time to open up and talk about it with that boss, in which case you then need to become like, have you ever seen the film um, The Incredibles? The yes, Pixar yes. You need to, do you remember the daughter in The Incredibles mm -hmm. had the oh, amazing yeah, ability silent. to build a force field yes. around herself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you need to become like Violet and be able to build a, an emotional force field around yourself so that you know they can throw their kind of anger at you and it will fall on the floor in front of you. you it, mostly that anger, that frustration, it says much more about the pressures that they're under than it does about anything you're doing. I'm not saying you don't take responsibility. There may be some ways that you, you might are. have just been the catalyst. You, you, you know, they, they, might be, they might just be having a bad day and, and then just be mm. you know, unintentionally taking it out on you. So the, I think that that second thing is about learning to really discipline yourself emotionally to say to yourself, it's not personal, it's not me. And that partly is unlocked by com compassion, actually. And that might sound like a strange word to introduce, but really stopping and, and looking at them and thinking, this person is under a lot of pressure. You know, they are carrying the business here. Yeah. And so maybe if that was me, I might be responding like this too. So I think really be being able to recognize the pressures that they're under, have some compassion, but then in that context, be able to detach yourself emotionally and say, I get why they're under those pressures, but I'm not gonna take it home with me. Yeah. Mm. I'm not gonna let it affect me. I choose to stay, but I'm not gonna let it affect me. Then the third strategy you have, of course, is to open it up and talk about it and, and have the courage to say, when you talk to me like this, it makes me feel like this, and that makes me less effective in these ways. Is that what you want, you know? Yeah. It's not easy to do, and we could talk a bit more about that skill of giving feedback upwards if that would be helpful i definitely think that would be helpful um, yeah but it, it is ultimately you know the only thing that's going to actually potentially change their behavior um, and many leaders are horrified when they hear that they are having an impact on people emotionally yeah, you'd be devastated wouldn't you yeah they wouldn't yeah because if i suppose if you just keep acting in the same way and you keep maybe bubbling over and just being snappy with people or being aggressive and you know shouting at people unless someone has actually sat you down and talked to you about it you wouldn't you wouldn't realize I, I think now is probably a really good time to maybe talk about giving yeah. feedback upwards because it's not something it's not a skill that you're ever equipped with no one would ever no. like do that so yeah that'd be really helpful and it really does make you uh, as you know superhero manager if you can learn to, to give that feedback upwards one of the reasons why sometimes you know you find these kind of emotional dynamics running out of control in organizations is because nobody has the courage to speak up to the boss anymore and so the, there's a self-awareness vacuum you know the boss doesn't realize that they're having the impact and they're they just have. being gossiped about i suppose they almost isolate themselves even more because they know that people don't like them because you you tend to pick up on that yeah. don't you and then yeah. everyone just calls you nasty names and then you're exactly and sometimes bad. they're um, the right hand man can be a buffer for that and they're not necessarily like that for you know in front of yes. the rest of the business yes that's true that's very true often other people who have perhaps less less contact, contact with, them. with yeah. them oh they're so inspiring and everything and actually that to the more senior people they they are less careful perhaps it's true yeah it's true because i see this from the perspective of the boss often because i have wonderful coaching clients who i love who will say to me i mean i'm, I'm thinking of one right now who came to me a few years ago and he said you know, I love my team and I really want to inspire people, but I'm, I think I'm frightening people and I'm not sure why. Yeah. You know, I'm being told that the intern doesn't want to sit next to me or I'm being told that, you know, um, people are intimidated by me. Help me understand. So it, it really often is much less intentional mm -hmm. than the people who are receiving it believe. Uh, it's often 
accidental or a coping mechanism it's a coping mechanism mm. that they're stressed they're not filtering the stress they haven't learned to uh, grow their resilience enough to deal with it well so that's a whole nother yeah. subject but if you are working for that person so the first thing is recognize they may not be aware of the impact they're having and yeah. they may be give them a bit of a break yeah in some ways in the end quite grateful to hear um, and and in that context, I think that w what you can do, the kind of classic model, if you like, is to be very specific. So in this situation, well, you did this, um, because if you're not specific, then it just becomes a generalized accusation. You know, yeah. you it's always yell at me, yeah. you're only going to get a bad response from that, right? Because we, we can all take this for our relationships at home as exactly. well. Exactly. <laughs> these are life skills. <laughs> these are very much life skills. <laughs> they really are. They really, I mean, yeah. they really are. If my husband skills, listens to yeah. this, so being, this. anytime <laughs> you want to give feedback, whether upwards or downwards, yeah. be really specific. So, you know, in that client meeting, when you interrupted me, when I was trying to make the point to the client, and then what was the impact on you? So how did it make you feel? Uh, it made me feel really small in front of the client. And, and I actually, I know that you want me to take more control with that client, and I'm really excited about doing that. So, you know, it'd be great if next time I could just have free reign to, to finish my point. Fantastic, yeah. So that's, it, there's a little model in there, which is in this situation, this is what I experienced from you, and this is the impact that it had on me, and now what would be great is if we could do this instead. Mm -hmm. And so why, the, the, solution yeah, there why well, the impact yeah. is so powerful is because they you will always know more about the impact of their behavior than they will. And they, but they will always know more about the kind of attitude behind their behavior. So if you say to somebody, you have a terrible attitude, that's, it's just an accusation. They know more about their attitude than you You instantly do. get your heckles up, exactly. don't you? Exactly. Yeah. But if you say to them, when you spoke to me like that, it made me feel like this, they can't really argue with that. No, so. no that's really yeah. useful advice. So you've set up your business with three other people and your culture is automatically distilled and your values are in place because you've set it up with such a small group of people. Then as you grow, you hire more people. How do you then ensure that those values are in place up and down the business? Mm, it's a great question, Joe. So, and, it, and it's incredibly relevant to this sort of founder um, conversation isn't it because and I and I see that all the time I've worked with this dynamic a lot where you see almost companies that describe themselves as almost like a family you know it's very small everything's kind of implicitly understood everybody kind of sits next to the founder because there's only you know four of you and so you you're all right have the that, same tone of voice yeah you know and so you're right that then you don't need to explain it so much you might need to explain it to the outside world but not necessarily to each other but you're quite right that as you grow things become different and I often see the dynamic that people start to question the performance of people, you know, when it's employee number 50, why doesn't that person get that this is how we do things? Well, because they don't, nobody's explained it to them and they don't actually have much contact with you, so they're not going to just absorb it. So I think some of the things you can do, first, and this is, I suppose, a particularly kind of English point to make, that some of the clients that I work with are a bit resistant to the whole idea of things like values because they think, oh, it's all a bit, you know. A bit naff, yeah. yeah. And you know what? I would say, don't worry about that. Find your own language uh, to not, you don't even have to use the word values to say, you know, this is how we try and show up, how we try and behave to be really successful and to enjoy working with each other. You know, uh, we try and always have passion about the work or we try and always have really high standards of, you know, client service or whatever. Put it into a language that, comes from your heart and comes from what's helped you succeed and that doesn't sound like you know management bs um, but recognize how important it is because you can't judge other people's performance who work for you unless they have a clear idea of what 
what's expected from them. That's not just about task completion or meeting goals. It's about how do we try and work together. And once you start to do that, that is when culture starts to really shape. You know, it's the birth of culture in an organization. This is how we do things around here. And it comes through stories that you tell each other. It comes from rewarding, praising people who behave in a certain way. Let's say, for example, you get your staff together. Let's say there's 20 of you, 30 of you, and you're all standing around having a coffee on a Friday, every Friday afternoon or a beer the leader's ability to stand up and say, so you know that one of the things we really value here is uh, you know, passion for the work. And I just want to call out you know, Joe, who did an amazing job with that client this week. You really went beyond the call of duty. You showed real passion for the work. So what happens there is two things. One is you're communicating, and I'm just going to say a little bit more about the importance of leadership communication in a second, but Joe feels great because she's been praised in front of everybody. Everybody else feels a little jealous, but in a kind of healthy way that they think, I want that praise next week. And they want to prove themselves, yeah. And you've also made it really clear what that value actually means. You know, values are not just a set of words that you stick on the wall. They are actually how does that translate into how we run the, the, the business every day to be successful in the way we want so it's it's not rocket science but it's really important and the thing I would just emphasize as a slightly broader point is as you start to codify that culture and, and let it make you know become something that doesn't just live in your head but that becomes something that anybody could be stopped in the corridor and say what's this company about and they'd be able to answer mm. never underestimate the importance of communication so one of the things we touched on earlier was what if you're a bit absent yeah when you are present or if it has to be virtual keep communicating with your team uh, and if you are the right hand keep pulling that communication down from your leader and almost insisting on it because you, you literally can't overestimate or underestimate which way around is it you, yeah under. there's never enough there's never enough um leadership communication and just because you've said something once around values it doesn't mean it's gone in so keep keep saying it i would say does that answer I think I th yeah. yeah definitely and I think um giving the examples of of like why things are connected to the values is really important as well because otherwise you can almost be drilling information into people and saying like we are the best at blah 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 this is what we want to do but it can seem a bit empty if you're behaving in a certain way where you're not present in the office oh, yeah. and you're not necessarily giving the best impression when you're there. Like a lot of the um, the founder of businesses that we work with and a lot of just people that we know kind of sometimes you get so, so busy, the more money you're making, you know, the more pressure that's put on you, you've got to deal with investors that you might sometimes just not be able to be in the office for like two or three days because you're at meetings or you're traveling or you're doing whatever and it's just I, I don't know it's communicating across the business in a really positive way and not just expecting people to get on with it and expecting people to do stuff just because you care doesn't mean that the rest of the business cares absolutely I mean I, I couldn't agree with that more it's a great point and and also something you started to kind of touch on those role modeling it as well you know if the minute that you say oh we are we're you know one of our values is honesty let's say and your team members just seen you lie to somebody yeah you know you're sunk you've got to yeah. if you if you're going to care about your business and you're going to have the kind of courage to get out there and build a build a brand and build a business that's amazing but there is a sort of responsibility attached to that then isn't there to I absolutely hate the phrase walk the talk it's such a kind of hackneyed phrase but to just show up you know in a way that that embodies what you're asking other people to do doesn't mean you have to be perfect one of the things I work on a lot with leaders is vulnerability and imperfection and you know nobody's perfect so it's not about being perfect against those values but it's mm. about showing that you're trying 
Yeah. I've worked for um, a founder before who was absolutely amazing and such a visionary, but I found the kind of the more success that they got, the less present that they were there. And it was just difficult for the business to communicate to the external world about what, what we did because we weren't necessarily getting the message from the person that was leading the business. And the culture wasn't ne- wasn't that baked in, I don't think. And we didn't exactly know what we were doing. We knew it was cool and we knew it was like, hey, everything's really cool. It's all really cool. But then when if someone literally would do the stopping you in the corridor and ask you what the values of the business were or anything, we wouldn't know. And without the founder steering the ship, it was very difficult to work there and, and feel as much passion as as I should have done necessarily. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's that for me slightly takes us back to what we were talking about around having, the, if you're that right hand, who's being mm. a bit left alone. Yeah. And you're just like, ship. hey, it's yeah. really great to work here. Exactly. Or you're interviewing people and you're yeah. like, yeah, like even if you're working for an enormous business and you're interviewing talent to come on board there and you're trying to get them excited about coming there, like if you're not feeling that buzz and you're not feeling that passion yourself, it's very difficult to kind of... Um, give integrity yeah integrity Mm. when you're when you're bringing people into a business and then sometimes you'll hire lots of people into a company and then you'll leave you know because you weren't necessarily that excited about it yourself you can always tell the the places that have a really strong culture or a positive culture because you know from our chair because you see the job specs and you see how they talk about their business Actually, sometimes is, is, is that true? Because sometimes people say they have a positive culture. But I think culture, we, you lock don't. onto this word now, don't you? So it's, it tends to be the, the people that are like, we're all about culture. Like we worked with a creative agency recently who were like so cool. All the work they were doing was cool. The founders were like super cool, but they'd ended up with lots and lots of people coming on board who were only surviving three months max. Um, because even though they were like a culture driven business, internally they hadn't even got any kind of processes and policies set up which are the boring side of business but if you don't have them then sometimes you know they can't people don't understand what they're they're there for anyway so okay there's one topic that I think most people who are listening to this podcast have probably experienced in some capacity and that is letting go whether it's yourself being able to let go and empower other people to do something or whether it's that you're trying to get a decision made and you have your hands tied behind your back or you feel worried that if you take control of something that you're going to get I mean I say told off but you're going to get you know repercussions from it how would you say it's enormous again a huge topic but how would you say to kind of try and cope with that from both sides yeah I mean it is it is a really good question to I think bring into the conversation because it's probably (laughs) the single biggest reason why the senior people who are brought in by founders or you know big leaders end up leaving is because they say I was brought in at this senior level and then I wasn't actually given any responsibility. I see it all the time. Um, so I guess f- you asked to, about from both lenses. The first thing I guess I would say is, again, you know, bringing empathy to those wonderful leaders that I work with who find it really hard to let go because these things are their baby. It matters enormously to them. They're passionate about quality and that is one of the things that makes them incredibly inspiring to work for and really wonderful. And it also makes it very hard for them to let go and trust other people for all those understandable reasons. And one of the things that I always say to those leaders who I'm working with, whether they're creative directors or whatever they are, is I'm not, you know, in in coaching you on how to let go, I'm not ever going to encourage you to lower your standards. Mm. This isn't about saying it's okay for it to be done less well because I'm letting go. It's about getting to the same level of standard as the outcome but you take people on the journey with you. You empower people. So it's about 
alternative ways of getting to fantastic, not just seeing that my way is the only way. So that's, I guess, the first thing I'd say is if you're a leader listening to this and you're struggling to let go, recognize that letting go doesn't mean lowering your standards. It's about unlearning some behaviors and learning some new ones. And the most important thing you need to learn is to coach people. It's the difference between switching the energy that you have always had to answer, solve, control, do it yourself, into seeing the talent that's in front of you and saying, I wonder how you could do a great job on this. I wonder how you could bring innovation, new ideas, new ways of doing it to still get to something amazing. But of course, until they've really earned their trust with you, you're not just going to hand it over. So coaching as a behavior is the bridge between quality control and empowerment. Mm. Because mm. they come to you and you say, okay, here's the task. And they say, I really want to take responsibility for this. And you say, fantastic. Let's create some clarity about what we're aiming for here, what great will look like, what the deadline is, et cetera, et cetera. And now tell me, how might you approach this? And then you start to hear from them, okay, great. And what are you going to be worried about? What are you excited about? What do you think is going to be hardest? How can I help? So even that question, how can I help, is a coaching question that implies, I know you can do this, but you probably still need me yeah. in here somewhere. So mm -hmm, it's not mm -hmm. black or white, it's gray, it's in the middle. And, and if you keep doing that through the process, they come to you with, let's say, you know, a deck they've written or a... Uh, you know, something to show in, in the meeting with the investors and you say, wow, that's looking great. What do you like about it so far? What could be even better? How can I help you make it better? Rather than just get the red pen out yeah. or say, let me do it. So that would be the thing I'd say to the leaders is learn to coach. You know, somebody once said the four most important words in business are, what do you think? Mm. So the, the flip side of that question about letting go is from the perspective, as you said, of the person who's trying to get more responsibility, yeah. the person who's been hired in and then you know, they're not being enabled, as you say, to maybe make decisions or they're not being allowed to take responsibility for things. And that can be deeply frustrating. But uh, there are lots of things that you can do. You can't change somebody else. You can only change how you show up to the problem. So the first thing I would say is uh, channel your frustration and your sense of disempowerment into a kind of curiosity and a resolve to try and see if you can make it better and then put your energy into doing some practical things. And there are a few things you can do. One is... I think I already said maybe, you know, seek forgiveness, not permission. So one strategy is a little bit uh, cheeky, perhaps. But where the stakes aren't too high, find places where you can just get on with things, do a great job, and then show your boss that you've done a great job. You know, by the way, I had an idea about this, and I just put it into practice. Is that okay? Now, they might be a bit wobbly at first if they're used to doing everything themselves, but if the stakes are low, and if you do do a great job then, you know, they're soon going to... That confidence will build be, up, They'll yeah. just be grateful in the mm. end because you've just taken something off their plate and done a good job. So the transitioning moment might feel awkward, but have the courage to know that, as I was saying earlier, they probably do want to let go of more, but they just don't really know how. So that one thing you can do is just be really proactive and then seek forgiveness, not permission. Yeah. Another thing you can do is to ask for more responsibility and make it easy for them to say yes. So one of the clients that I'm coaching at the moment is in this space right now. And what I've got them to think about is what is something that you feel confident that you could take more responsibility and do a good job of should really be part of your job spec responsibility, but they're not letting go of. Sit down and ask them for a bit more responsibility than you're getting right now. Let's say, for example, you say to them, uh, I know you want to take more, I know you want me to take more responsibility with that client. At the moment, when we go to meetings, you run the whole meeting. How about I run this section of the meeting? How okay. would that be? So, yeah. small, that what, so there's a couple of things in there. One is proactively asking for more responsibility in an area that kind of makes sense. Another is small steps. 
So don't just say, hey, chuck it all over here and trust me. Mm. That's not going to fly for them because they, you know, they're holding on. But if you say to them, I think I can do this part or uh, I'd like to have a go at that and then maybe let's check in. So Mm -hmm. small incremental shifts in responsibility are much less scary for the leader and will be more likely for you to then do a great job. The other thing I would say is create as much clarity as you can with them, which we've talked a bit about already in this conversation. But if you are set up to succeed by the fact that you know that you've discussed with them together what will great look like on this project, what will bad look like, etc. What are we really aiming for here? And also, what are the edges of my responsibility and yours? All of those things will just be more likely to get to a point where you come back to them and they go, oh, actually, you did a great job. And I think also clarity about this might sound a bit strange, but sometimes leaders don't really even think that you want to do the job because they think, oh, it's a bit of a you know, menial job or it's a challenging client, I, only I should expose myself to that grief or whatever it might be. But actually, if you say to them, I'm really hungry to learn and part of my learning is taking on this kind of challenge, will you support me in that? They might go, oh, okay, and, and see it through a slightly different frame. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like when you said about not feeling, like, you know, feeling needed, I think that's something else that really um, sticks with a lot of people that are uh, leading or are founders, because the more people that you've got that are fantastic that you hire around you and the better the people are, the less you are sometimes needed. And it can be a bit of a bummer, really. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, you know, my name's above the door or this is my business or this is what we do you know there's an element of pride in what people can achieve and you feel fantastic but sometimes there are days where I'm sure people feel like oh if I'm not here then sure it doesn't it doesn't make any difference which is great but also it's like (gasps) sure and And it's I think sometimes people will try and stamp their name over things for sure because they want to feel like you know I'm here I'm present you know, I'm the boss, I'm paying your salary. So this is Absolutely. how it is. Yeah. And, ap- and particularly in the creative world where, you know, if it's your fashion designer, if it's your advertising piece of work, you know, it, it's literally about unlearning behaviours that have helped you get on because, you know, for example, as an advertising creative, it's, if it's not your name on the prize, you know, it's, it's, not, it's you, not your yeah. work in the book. Mm. So you, it has to be yours in order to get on. But then when you book, one of the best creative leaders that I've worked with in, in the States, uh, very senior, amazing creative leader, and one of the things that he says is, you know, when you become a leader, it becomes all about you, all about them and not about you anymore. But that doesn't mean that you're not needed. You're needed more than ever, but what you're needed for is something a bit different. It's to bring your passion and your vision and, you know, the way that you inspire people on a broader level, you know, to create culture and also to be like a host, uh, not a hero. It's not about being the hero anymore who answers everything and is, you know... Mm. The, the only one with the answer it's about hosting a culture and if you look at fantastic modern creative organizations like pixar for example who only ever make smash hit films yeah so they're an amazing mm-hmm. organization uh, if you look at the way that they run and how their leaders know that they're needed their leaders know that they're needed to steady that ship and keep it working in a collaborative innovative mm-hmm. empowered way hire in the best talent create Inspire the conditions creativity. exactly and create the conditions for creativity to thrive it isn't about doing it all yourself so I think that's from that perspective I called you a mirror holder upper um in the intro um because very often people won't necessarily recognize what they're what they're like until someone tells them which we spoke about earlier but if you are leading a business and you may be at the top of your game and lots of people are saying like wow what an amazing business you're really great how do you stop yourself from getting a massive ego yeah sure and what is interesting is again the 
partly the, the difference sometimes between what people are experiencing on the outside and how somebody's feeling on the inside. Mm. So it, it's true that when they feel that they have to be out there being the kind of big hitting leader in the press, etc., what might start to come across is a, a lot of kind of ego Mm -hmm. swagger but quite often I mean I have worked with just lovely leaders who feel I know I need to get my profile out there I know I need to show up as confident but they have quite a lot of imposter syndrome going on un underneath so yeah. they don't necessarily feel like that at the same time you're absolutely right there's sometimes sometimes imposter syndrome isn't there and sometimes yeah, yeah it's you just are getting right and yeah there was a fantastic article in the Harvard Business Review a few years ago which said it turns out that power really does corrupt <laughs> you know the Machiavelli yeah. quote yeah power corrupts and absolutely and there was a lot of interesting research about how as people get more senior some of the behaviors that got them senior like being maybe approachable or collaborative start to ebb away as their power increases and their ego increases so you're, you're quite right the, the main thing I would say is keep doing the work on yourself you know just because you've got senior it doesn't mean you stop learning and it doesn't mean that you need you just say well I put my feet up and I'm I'm done now I'm great I'm perfect mm, I'm stay top. in touch with what you still need to learn and recognize that the learning becomes different so as you become a leader the learning becomes less about your craft and it becomes more about your impact on others because of your need to take people with you on the journey whether that's internally or externally so a lot of the work I do with senior leaders is about self-awareness it's about really looking in the mirror, as you say, and thinking, is there a gap between the intent of my behavior, maybe empowering my team or inspiring people, and the actual impact of my behavior, perhaps over-talking everybody or over-controlling or you know, being too absent or whatever. So really, and, and the things that can help you with that are, for example, get a coach. And I don't want to make this an advert for coaching, but coaching is becoming more and more uh, widespread in the creative industries, partly because those senior leaders are seeing that leadership is perhaps a bit more complex and challenging than it was because people will leave if they are not well led and they want to have somebody who will still tell them the truth and who ha will hold the mirror up to them and, and say, look, you know, you thought that meeting went really well. Well, I don't want to make you feel bad, but actually I'm hearing that your team are quite afraid of you. So the coach is a person who will speak truth to power and gently, well, perhaps not gently, but empathetically and supportively challenge that leader to keep looking in the mirror. So surround yourself with people who will keep you real. Yeah, not be yes, ma'am. Mm. Okay, cool. So thinking about boundaries, we've got many different ways of communication now. There's not just email and phone. We've got WhatsApp, we've got Slack, and we've got business-wide communication on both of those channels. Now, many founders are, there's an always-on culture within businesses. How do you put working boundaries in place and protect your time outside of work if you're working for an international business that maybe has various offices and a founder that and travels. And you're getting 2 a.m. texts constantly. Constant. Yeah, I mean, again, there's no perfect answer to this because in the end, sometimes the system that you're in, you know, the company that you're in will have kind of baked in ways of behaving and you as one individual can't necessarily change that. Certainly I see that in you know bigger organizations but particularly perhaps if it's a smaller organization where there's it's perhaps a little bit more in its infancy and there's a chance to sort of influence some of these less helpful behaviors before they become widely systemic but anyway also even in a bigger company i guess i'd say a couple of things one is nobody else will put boundaries in for you apart from yourself 
I mean, I see it a lot, for example, with parents returning to work and, and going into, you know, flexible working contract. I'm sure you see this all the time. And then they say, well, it's not working. People ring me on my day off, etc. And, n you know, your company, your founder, whoever, will take anything that you let them because you're great and you're talented and that's why they hired you and they want as much of you as they can possibly get. So nobody else will put the boundaries in apart from you. And the, and the thing that I would encourage people to do is to just know your value. Yeah. Know your value. You know, there is a reason why they hired you. If you then let them text you at midnight and say you've got to do a conference call at 11 p.m. or whatever, then they they will take that, of They'll course. They'll just do it, yeah. They'll just do it. Why wouldn't they? Because you're really valuable and that's useful to them. But if you say to them, you know what, um, if I'm on a conference call at 11 and then texting at midnight and then not sleeping well because I'm worried about whether I've disappointed you, I'm not going to be great at 9am the next morning. And I really and, and I think if you frame it in the context of what matters to them in the business, what you're there to contribute and how um, you need to show up to your life in order to be able to contribute that. Yeah, what would you say about, like, we've there's, a, there's, there's someone that I'm kind of thinking of who um, is a good friend of mine who works for a really incredible creative director who um, is, is absolutely wonderful. However, brain dumps constantly on WhatsApp all the time and it can be quite emotional and it can be quite difficult to kind of deal with and if they feel that if they don't respond, then they're letting that person down and it's not necessarily always just purely about work. It can be quite emotive, the the messages. And um, it, it's just one kind of one of those things like everybody in the company knows that this person does that. And if you don't respond, it's just, you know, it's, it, it's seen as really bad play. And it's not even about kind of um, a formal working thing. It's more about just how to deal with someone who's telling you almost too much on text and you can't really do anything with the information. Yeah. You know, I, I'm quite a fan of the holding the holding message you know mm. I've got this yeah. I'll get back to you or I've got this let's talk about it later or or you know I've got this I'm sorry you feel that way sending my best or you know sending my best is too formal language for your boss but that if it's you know I'm so worried about my relationship or something that's actually not really your business mm. you could just say oh you know so sorry I hope you feel better later yeah and just keep it short keep it boundary don't get sucked in mm. um by a continual loop yeah, yeah. I think probably because we've had so much chat in this podcast and there's so much useful information, we will do a written version that will be available on our website shortly. Um, if you want to get in touch with Alison, which I definitely think you should do, um, she's uh, got a fantastic website, which is growpeople.co.uk. And yeah, I think today has just given me loads of advice as well as just made me realise, have maybe some more empathy with people that we sometimes work with that are a little bit difficult. Because yes. um, yeah, on a daily basis, we deal with founders and sometimes they can be tricky characters, but really we should all be thinking of them as just, you know, people like People us. trying to do people a good People like us. Um, as always, please like and subscribe to How to Hustle. And you can also reach us on podcast at talentatelier.com where Sarah will be eagerly awaiting your email we need to open that inbox and have a little sh sh like shuffle through all of the different things because we've got quite a lot of questions sat in there um thank you so much Alison, for pleasure being a guest really really appreciate it and um yeah we'll uh, look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon thanks so much it's been a pleasure thank you for asking me no, no worries. worries take care bye, bye.